guys. Welcome to Esther chapters 9 and 10. Um, if we were in class, we would be singing, Praise ye the Lord, the Almighty, and come the fount of every blessing. So when this is over with, y'all look those two hymns up and be blessed by the lyrics of them. Let's have it in prayer. Father, we just thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you for your word and the power of it. We ask that you would just fill us with your spirit. Help us, help us to be discerners of your truth, Lord, because we cannot do it apart from the Spirit. He teaches us. So I pray, Father, that you would just show us and, and equip us to go forth to do your bidding, Lord, for your glory and to leave the realm of Christ in every situation we're in. And, Father, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us. For Jesus' sake, amen. Okay. The 13th day of the 12th month arrived, and in lieu of Haman's decree being carried out against the defenseless Jews, though still it was in effect, the tables were now turned on the enemies of the Jews. While Haman's decree could not be reversed by the Persian law, because of the Persian law, Mordecai had the king sign a new law, which gave the Jews the right to fight back, and fight back they did. The Jews' cause was to be tried by battle, and the day was fixed by authority. The time was at hand. Neither side could call the other rebels, for they both supported the king's own edict. Through this foolish rashness, Xerxes had caused a civil war in his own land. Talk about bringing trouble on yourself. The Jews assembled in the various cities to face their attackers. Scripture states that no one could stand against them because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. Indeed, the governmental authorities and the king's administrators even helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them. Mordecai had become more and more prominent in the palace. His powerful reputation had spread throughout the provinces. He now had the king's ear, and it was well known. The Jews became the conquerors instead of the enemy. It proved to be God's day. Surprise, surprise. There are no surprises in this. I think it interesting to note that throughout Scripture, to this present day, the Jewish people have always had enemies. Satan knows they are God's chosen people. And to touch them, and by the way, to touch Christians, is to touch the apple of his eye. From having to fight their way into obtaining the promised land given to them by God, one battle at a time, they had pursued all the ites, to the Assyrians, to the Babylonians and Romans, to the life and death of Jesus, to the persecution of Hitler, to the Muslims, and on and on and on I could go. God's chosen people have always had enemies, and they always will. Jesus tells us, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Even in our modern days, times, it appears that Jews and Christians are the only ones that it's acceptable to slander and to persecute. To be sure, light and darkness never mix. After Moses' death, God's chosen people under the leadership of Joshua had to battle enemy after enemy, until they possessed what was rightfully theirs. Indeed, God himself encouraged Joshua prior to the first conquest to not fear that he would be with them and to bring them great success. And he had to be terrified with Moses' death. And he's looking at millions of Jews, and he was to lead them. He had to be scared to death. 
and get, and God comes to him and he says, I will give you every place. This is what he's telling Joshua. I will give you every place that you set your foot. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Your territory will extend from the desert to, uh, to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers forefathers to give them be strong and very courageous it takes great courage but we get the courage as we take the step and be careful to obey all the laws of my Moses that my servant Moses gave you do not turn from it to the right or to the left that is the that is the key in all of life do not turn from God's law from the right or to the left follow it and why? Why, Lord? Because then you will be successful wherever you go. With God's power, through God's power, for his glory, for your good. Do not let this book of the law, he goes on to say, depart from your mouth. That means memorize it. Have it and store it up in your mouth. Meditate on it. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. I am God and there is no other. I'm on your side. I am in you. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. These Jews were to cling to God and go forth in his achieving power. Not their own. In their own power, they would have been obliterated. obliterated. The same is true for us today. As we walk with him, abiding in his good, pleasing, and perfect will, we go forth in his power we will be successful. Yet success has many looks, and some of them are not too Cinderella-like, to be sure. Sometimes we feel like a failure, when in reality it is a sure success. I'm sure many martyrs in heaven could attest to that. Also, by the way, God's goal for us is always to be conformed to the image of his Son. What he allows in every life is to wants us to be like Jesus, is to make us like Jesus. Kara Tiplitz, who did succumb to, to uh, breast cancer and who had, I think, four children, writes prior to her death, My hope is not in a cure today. My hope is not in the absence of suffering and comfort returned. My hope is in the presence of of the one who promises never to leave me or forsake me, the one who declares nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Your story is a good story. In the grief, pain, and heart, the author has a plan. It may feel like a desperate breaking of your own heart, but suffering is not the absence of God or good. Back to the enemies, back to having enemies in the world, Jesus told us, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. 
That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Friendship with God will result in enduring the world's hatred. Conversely, being friends with the world is to be God's enemy. James tells us, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live us, live in us envies intensely? That he doesn't want us to be lovers of the world because he knows that leads to death. Death to something. Joy eventually, trust, on and on and on. A fundamental reason for the world's hatred of a Christian lies in their differences. A believer having left the kingdom of darkness and having been transferred into the kingdom of God's Son, the kingdom of light, has a different joy, we have a different purpose, we have a different hope, and we have a different love. Colossians tells us, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the sunny loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We are cleansed. We are clothed in Christ's righteousness. Believers now have, this, have certainty. We have certainty. We stand on the certainty of the truth of God's word. We have a standard of life. Christians are no longer of the world. They belong to Christ. Since they do not belong to the world, the world hates them. Light shines in the darkness, and they do not like it. Because it is convicting even without words, whenever light shines on darkness, whenever light shines, it shows up, right? It shows things up. Uh, Jesus tells us, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. They're hiding the secret. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Because it's supernatural. It goes against your flesh. Whatever God does in your life, it goes against the flesh. The flesh is going to war against the good that God wants to do. It's like, I have my right. It's mine or whatever. And God is saying, no, if any man comes after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow after me for whoever wants to follow me his life must he must lose but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it scripture also has told us um well anyway let's go back i, I skipped ahead sorry i find it interesting that in some form or another the enemies of the jews are mentioned eight times in chapter nine eight times reiterating that these were those who hated the Jews vehemently and sought for their destruction. Let's consider for a brief minute our enemies. Strangely, we could, not, we could be one of our greatest enemies ourselves. We battle Satan, we battle sin, and we battle self. And more often than that, self gets the, into the biggest trouble. It gives us the biggest trouble. It's just so easy to give into our flesh. Amen. I do it all the time, and, and then I'm so sad that I do. We want what we want when we want it. 
I'm not one to think that Satan is lurking around every corner to take me down. I'm just not that important. I do, however, give great credence to the words Peter penned for us to be aware. He writes, be self-controlled, be self-controlled. Um, I'm going to interject right here. In Proverbs it says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. And the city's walls were its fortification. And if there was a breach in that wall, the enemy would get in through there. And Satan is always looking for that breach in our walls of self-control. So if you have a weakness towards that, you need to bolster that up through prayer. And he says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Scripture also tells us to flee sin. And we are given the promises as well that God himself will provide a means of escape when we do. This begins with a made-up mindset. I always tell my classes, have a firm resolve. When we, when we leave ourselves an out, we will take it. So if you have a firm resolve, it keeps you from falling. And that means a made-up mindset. Like Jesus, when he headed towards Jerusalem, towards the cross, he resolutely set out, it says in Scripture. That means he res resolved to carry this to the end. And we want to be resolved to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. So we are just flee sin, and we are given the promise as well that God himself will provide a means of our escape. This begins with the made-up mindset. So I think, so if you think, if you think, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you are standing firm, that's when you may be getting into trouble. I'm going to go back to another, I'm going to interject something in this middle of this verse, but sometimes when we are so secure, like, um, that we will never we will say, I will never do that, and then before you know it, you've done it. And that happens because you come, become too confident and you don't want to be too confident in your flesh. <laughs> Never in your flesh. Always confident in the Lord. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Be careful, he's saying. Watch out. If you think you're very confident, watch out. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, which we will be, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And so I'm always, I was always telling my kids when we were growing up, look for the door of escape. Look for the door of escape. And, and then I, my prayer was that if they chose not to look for the door of escape, pull them by the hair through the door of escape. <laughs> Paul gave Timothy, his spiritual son, the following wonderful counsel that we should adhere to as well. Flee the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness. See, you fall into holiness. You, I mean, excuse me, you fall into sin. You fall into sin, but you pursue righteousness. Righteousness and holiness must be a pursuit. So pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. 
and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. What a sad line. I hate to be taken captive by Satan to do his will. Indeed, the surest way to stand is to kneel at Jesus' feet, to immerse yourselves in his word and his ways, and not just leaving them in your head, but applying them to your heart. It goes into your head, into your heart, out of your hands. It's like conduit of, of his truth in, in, embedded in your heart and then out. Keep your account short with the Lord. As soon as you have fallen, turn. Turn and ask for repentance and acceptance. And, and he does. He freely forgives. And, um, and then be accountable to others and not forsake the assembling together of the saints. Sometimes we get uh, so isolated and we are not accountable to other people who will, in love, tell you the truth. And some of the hardest things I've learned in my life were very hard things that people were willing to share with me and, and take those truths that they give you and take it back to the Word and see if it applies. If it's true and if, if, it, if the shoe fits, then wear it, as I used to say. And they still do. We, God gives us a list of our proper armor so that we may be prepared and not get caught in our skivvies. In Ephesians, he tells us, finally, be strong in the Lord. We are to be strong in the Lord in his mighty power, not in Beth's mighty power, but in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, and so we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against, but it's against the rulers. It's against the authorities. It's against the power of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, not if, when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand after you've done everything to stand stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist that's the scriptures and the breastplate of righteousness in place that's from jesus and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace in addition to all this take up the shield of the faith which which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Your faith can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Lastly, in our struggles against our enemies, it is foremost that we know God's Word and hide its truth in our hearts. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And also in Psalm 119, 9 through 11, he says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. How I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray. We're so prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for the courts above. 
And he goes on to say, By living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Paul writes in Corinthians, who, by the way, were, like us, very susceptible to falling. And when people fall, normally they want to go with, around people that don't make them feel bad. They want to be with like people. And so oftentimes, um, uh, you know, we, we try to protect ourselves from not having to face up to the reality that we're walking away instead of towards the Lord in faith. Be on your guard and stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong and do everything in love. Now back to our story at long last. A little detour there. In a miraculous turn of events, we discovered the Jews were strengthened and encouraged and their enemies were weakened and dispirited that none of those who had marked themselves to destroy the Jews escaped. 500 men fell in the city of Susa alone on that day, as well as ten, the ten sons of Haman. 300 more were slain in Susa and the, the following day, as well as the sons of Haman that were dead, were impaled, though already dead. Not to mention the 75,000 who were killed in the king's provinces. I would say it was a serious routing. Remember, ladies, it is God's to avenge. He, always, he says in Romans, it is mine to avenge. I'll... I will do it. And his wrath is always thorough in accomplishing what he has set forth for it to accomplish. Do not take revenge, my friends, he says, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I think it's interesting as well that the Jews could have reaped the bounty in laying their hands on the enemy's plunder, yet they chose not to touch it. Three times in Scripture, it tells us they did not lay their hands on the plunder, and there must have been a lot of it. Perhaps this is reminiscent of their father Abraham, who had gone to war against those who had captured Sodom and Gomorrah to get his nephew Lot back. When his nephew Lot had been lived there, he was taken captive too. Abram, at the t- Abraham, at the time Abram, took 318 trained men born into his household and attacked and routed the enemy, recovering all the goods and brought back his relative Lot along with the, the possessions together with the women and the other people. The king of Sodom came out to meet him and told Abram to keep the goods, all that plunder, himself. The following was Abram's wonderfully great reply. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a throng of the sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me to Abner, to Aner, excuse me, Eschol and Mamre. Let them have their share. And that was in Genesis 14. Faith looks beyond the riches of this world 
to the grander prospects God has in store. Keep your eyes set above. Abram knew that he would become more prosperous, and he knew who, capital W, was blessing him. He intended to receive everything from God and not even a thread from Sodom. Obedient believers frame their lives so that for all success, joy, comfort, prosperity, they depend on God. He is our source, the capital S. They scorned enriching themselves with the spools of Sodom. It was like tainted goods, so to speak. Their faith is like Abram's deeply rooted and growing, stronger rather than brief and weak. Indeed, most seek God's hand rather than seek God. Matthew Henry states of the Jews in Esther of this, of this particular um, act, their commission also empowered them, he says, to destroy the families and their enemies, even the women and children, yet their humanity forbade them to do that. Even though the king's edict said, edict said that they could destroy the women and children, they, their humanity would not allow it. They slew none but those that were found in arms. They only slew the men. And therefore, they did not take the spool at all. And perhaps in an endeavor to leave it for the women and the little children. If so, they acted with a consideration and compassion well worthy of imitation. God doesn't want us to only look after our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Next we discover the celebratory plans coming into being through the actions of wise Mordecai and Queen Esther. You know, God loves a good celebration. We talked about that the very first of Esther when they were having a big party. God loves his children to celebrate his goodness, and he loves to be a part of that celebration. Being thankful for all that he has done for us makes him smile indeed. I think a Puritan writer once wrote, Thou greatest pleasure is that thou art my joy. Thou greatest pleasure is that he gets pleasure out of our joy for him. I'm reminded of Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. They were, it was, they were like men who dreamed, wake me up, this is too good to be true. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we were filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will doubtless come rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I love that verse. Because if you're faithful, even in your sadness, to go forth doing his word, you will return carrying sheaves. Your, your blessings will be greater that, from your actions. Mordecai and Esther desired to perpetuate the remembrance of such a miraculous happening, which pointed to the loving and great God they served. 
They wanted to make much of God. And we want to make much of God through our lives and our actions and our words. When God moves his hand, it behooves us to place a standing stone, so to speak, something that will remind you of what he did so that we will not forget memorialize it as we are so prone to amnesia in this area we're not we don't need a standing stone to tell us to grumble and complain we don't need a standing stone to tell us to whine and pout we need a standing stone to remind us of when he was faithful and what he did because we're so prone to forget this is for our benefit as it helps us to remember that if god was faithful in the past we can be assured of his faithfulness now he never changes i the lord never change he says our remembrance is caught, taught by God throughout Scripture, both for our good and His glory, because we are ever so prone to forget. Amen. When we forget, we then begin to wallow. Not only are we prone to wander, we are also prone to forget. The words in Deuteronomy come to light, which is the Jewish Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. This is important. Red flag, red flag. Tie them as symbols on your hands, and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses, and on your gates. It's, he's basically saying, have it before them all the time, so that they will know. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build. He always says, you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. When you eat and are satisfied, be careful, he warns, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We are so susceptible to fall when we are fat and sassy, when everything is going good and swimmingly well. Our focus usually gets off of the Lord, and we end up teetering. The two-day feast would serve in remembrance of the goodness of God, working through a number of circumstances on behalf of the Jews to protect his people from extinction. Mordecai's proclamation stated the Jews were to celebrate the event annually with eating, rejoicing, giving presents of food to one another, and gifts to the poor. The feast was to be called Purim because of Haman's use of pur, P-U-R, the lot to determine the time of the execution. It's kind of like dice. The, um, the, let's see, the pur became a symbol of God's using circumstances to deliver his own. God loves to be remembered and appreciated. He really does. And I think about that, how, how pitiful and sad my prayer life is because I come, Lord, can you do, can you, can you, can you, can you, can you, instead of thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's so important to, to, to cultivate an attitude of gratitude for all that God has done. I mean, even for the breath in your lungs, we, have, we, are, we are indebted to him for everything, everything. Indeed, Scripture calls God's people to be thankful in all things, by the way. Be joyful always, Thessalonians. Paul tells us in Thessalonians, be joyful always. Be joyful always. That's hard. This is, these are three hard, and they're, 
your thorough commands. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Paul says again, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ellen Vaughn says, Gratitude is not an option for believers who want to splash in the waves of grace. God commands his followers to be thankful. Some spend a lot of time wondering about God's will for their lives. We can be absolutely certain of at least one aspect of his divine will. We are to be thankful. We are to give thanks in all things. And Amy Carmichael writes, It's so easy to give thanks for what naturally chooses, but that does not cover the everything or of the text. One morning lately, in speaking of some small trouble, I quoted, In everything give thanks, and at once someone answered, But I cannot give thanks for everything. Now, if our God tells us to do a thing and we cannot, there is something wrong somewhere. For we all know the words, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. That is, all things commanded. It is treason to say, I cannot. But first, we should make sure that we are commanded to do this. The text says, give thanks in everything, not for everything. All God's biddings are enablings. It means whatever he allows us to do, he enables us to do it. We can do that. We will do that, she says. Whenever you react with praise, Hannah Hernard says, and thanksgiving for an opportunity to grow more like Jesus, like I was saying before, where he is all about conforming us to the image of Christ. If you want to know how God wants you to walk, walk as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did, is what John says. Whenever you react with praise and thanksgiving for an opportunity to grow more like Jesus in your way of reacting to things instead of grumbling or feeling self-pity, you will find that the whole situation will be changed into a great blessing. The letters Mordecai sent forth to all the provinces of Xerxes were thorough and establishing the 14th day and the 15th days of the 12th month, that's the month of Adar, as days of a great celebration in remembrance of all that God had done for the Jews. When their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into celebration, they would be days of cheerfulness and generosity. Furthermore, these days were to be remembered and observed in every generation by every family, and they should never cease to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of them die out among the descendants, because it's so easy to do. Isaiah's words ring true. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Do we make known among the nations what he has done in our own lives? Do we make known among our spheres what he has done in our own lives? Nobody can refute your own testimony. And proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. The one thing, the one who gives the power, Piper says, gets the glory. The one who gives the power gets the glory. Interestingly, Piper also quips, God is always doing 10,000 things in our lives, and we may be aware of maybe three of them.
Queen Esther also joined with Mordecai in writing a second letter for the Jews, one of goodwill and assurance, again to establish the Feast of Purim, both for themselves and for their descendants after them. We don't live as unto ourselves. Our lives are just like a ripple, and they and they far-reaching, and they go to every subsequent generation. And you want it to. You want the good that you do to follow you, and, and, and not the evil. Because it matters how one lives their life. We don't live as unto ourselves. A copy of her letter was also included into the royal archives. They wrote with full authority regarding the feast. The celebration would be a day of thanksgivings, days of thanksgivings filled with joy of the Lord. Always at the feast, the whole story of Esther is read in the synagogues each day, and they lift up three prayers to God. The first for which they praise God for counting them worthy to attend the divine service, and the second they thank him for the miraculous preservation of their ancestors, and in the third they praise him that they have lived to observe another festival in memory of it. The book of Esther closes by first speaking of King Xerxes' power. But more importantly than that, the closing verse extolled Mordecai, the once hated Jew in the Persian Empire. We now find him promoted by Xerxes and reversed and revered by the Jews. God elevated this humble man to a position where he could use his giftings with the proper use of authority, unlike the, his predecessor Haman, who used his position for pride and power. When God gives you position, I was just uh, listening. I don't know when y'all are going to hear this, but Robbie Zacharias has just passed. Had just passed away. Has just passed away, and they did a um, a um, little blip, I guess, what you call it, video, and it was on um, the internet, and it was about who backed him, and nobody knows this man's name. I think it's Dee. I don't remember even now. I can't even remember his name now. But he was a businessman who had a passion to get God's word out. And his and his daughter was being interviewed, and she was saying how he couldn't speak. He, he was not a speaker. He was not a, uh, you know, eloquent in that. But he could make money. And so he took his giftings of making money and his giftings of knowing other men in the industry that made, you know, had been successful and he used these in, through a series of events um, that they backed Ravi when he was just starting his ministry and and they had every year they have this celebration of this uh, uh, dinner which you know just applauds these people because these min- this ministry while Ravi is the one that was out front all these people behind him are making this ministry go and that's so important. And every job is just as important as the one that's out front. Don't ever think that just because you're in the basement peeling potatoes unseen by the world, if your heart is happy and you're joyful and you're doing what God has you to do, you are doing exactly, you are as great as the greatest person that's sitting out there preaching God's word or, or going forth in battle. Because that is the way God has it. Every person, everybody in that in his body has a job to be about for his glory and for their good. And we're the losers when we don't walk in it. We are the ultimate losers. We because nothing is sadder than getting old like I am and looking back over your life and w- feeling like you've wasted it by pursuing things that are just going to be burned up in the end. 
And I have no idea where I am now. But anyway, I'll just try to figure it out. We now find him prompted by exorcism, revered by the Jews, Mordecai. God elevated this humble man to a position where he could use his giftings with the proper use of authority, unlike his predecessor, Haman, who used his position for pride and power. He was the Jews' great patriot because he worked hard for them and spoke up for their behalf. Two exorcists, and God honored that. God honored it. While wicked Haman was puffed with pride, Mordecai remained humble. Scripture tells us the Lord detests. He detests all the proud in heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. I love Paul's words. What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, why do you boast? And indeed, that was the case for Haman. Whereas wise and humble Mordecai was lifted up by God as he did good for the Jews, having their best interest at heart. All of you, Peter says, clothe yourself with humility. Put it on. Put humility on every day. You know, it's a garment toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time, just like he did Mordecai. The wise inherit honor, but fools he holds up to shame. When the original Jewish readers read this account, they would have been struck by the way God was sovereignly protecting them, often when, when they did not even know it. Isn't that true in our, in our own lives? It's true. It's for us. Many things in the book of Esther happened that were beyond anyone's control except that of God, who oversees history and whose plans can never be thwarted. The book of Esther is filled with irony, with many ways in which events turned out unexpectedly and in the favor of God's people. Queen Vashti, a Persian who just posed so that Esther, a Jewish, could become queen and save her people. Haman, once exalted, was brought low, and Mordecai and the Jews, once hated, were exalted and honored. A decree which would have wiped out the Jews was overruled by one which led them to destruction of nearly 76,000 enemies of the Jews. It is no wonder that Purim is celebrated yearly with much rejoicing to help the Jews and us remember that God is in control and that people should faithfully worship and serve our great God. Surely, Isaiah writes, it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. For the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot sing your praise. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, they praise you. As I am doing today, fathers, tell their children about your faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your powerful word. We thank you that it's applicable even to us this day, this very day. Lord, take what we've heard today. Pierce our hearts. Change us from the inside out, Lord. Only you can change a heart. And I pray, Father, that we would be faithful, that we would give you glory, and that we would rejoice in, your, in the workings of your hands. And I ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.